Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 264, Everybody Gets a Trophy, recorded December 18th, 2016, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only show on the internet where geeks rant. That's right. Trust us. It doesn't happen anywhere else. My name is Mark, sometimes called the Sultan of the Soapbox, meaning when I say it in the intro, it's pretty much the only time ever um and joining me this week are your two stalwart co-hosts seth the gooey kid anderson and miles the oxygenier i'm going with that uh, uh wake him. hey gentlemen howdy mark and welcome to the wonderful world of opieville and this is stalwart geek ranting at its finest from arizona how you going guys and some somebody Woo-hoo. recently said to me that they thought the the website was lmnop.net which would be great if i could uh, uh, get that one somebody already owns it but that's specifically why i always say element opie.com I, I thought i was clear about that but apparently not because but you know if there's someone who listens at a higher speed you know like i've listened at 2.3 that's true sometimes those pauses they kind of run together and you don't notice them i uh i listen at 2.5 I've, i'm up to that now and uh um accidentally started my my phone playing podcast at the office without the bluetooth connected and so it came out over the speakers and there was more prairie dogging when that happened than anything else everybody was jumping up <laughs> what is that what what was that i'm sorry that was my podcast yeah, you listen to it like that yeah yeah and so then i had to go through the whole thing yes it lets me listen to several hours of podcast during an eight-hour day um no it's it's not that hard no, i'm not it's nothing special anybody can do it you start at 1.1 and gradually work your way up and it's just, I keep having to have this conversation because somebody will, will catch me listening at, at high speed. I don't even notice it anymore. In fact, when um, I'm listening to a feed that's not downloaded and so it can't speed it up, they all sound like they're drunk because they're talking so slow. Yeah, I was right. going to say, in, in the real life conversation, after you've been listening to a lot of podcasts at that speed, everybody <laughs> must sound slow. It really doesn't. My brain can make that shift. So when I listen to Seth... <laughs> On a podcast at regular speed, he sounds like he's an idiot. But now, seeing his face and over the the interwebs and talking to him, he sounds perfectly normal. There's some sort of mental shift that your brain makes when you when the earbud uh, earbuds go in the ear. You expect to hear a different sound, and so somebody can come up to me and and be talking to me uh, while I'm listening to a high speed sound, and neither of them sounds normal. The guy in my ear talking at two point five sounds normal, and the guy talking to me at one point zero sounds normal. Uh, and my brain's to- totally fine with that shift. But it, um, if it's a guy like Seth, who I listen to, you know, both cases, right? Uh, when I listen to him in podcast uh, form, he's at 2.5x, and that sounds perfectly normal. But when I listen to him live, he's at 1.x, and it sounds perfectly normal. Uh, but if if the two meet, that's when worlds collide. Yeah, I know uh, there was a, I listened to this one podcast and I was really straining to figure out the website this person was saying because it was not, I, my brain just couldn't quite figure it out. So I had to like stop my recorder, play it back at one speed and listen to this person talk. And oh my gosh, they sounded so stupid (laughs) and slow. And I was just like, who is this person I'm listening to? And, uh, but yeah. And so it's weird when you only know someone at talking at 2.3 speed and then you hear them at one speed, you're like, wait, yeah, what? something wrong with you. And speaking of who is this person, there is a fourth member of our panel that I have yet to introduce to you. The, the secret, uh, uh, hiding in the wings, uh, Mr. Kirk Van Heining. He is the anti-millennial. 
Uh, and he's here tonight to both speak to and uh, take to task millennials based off of our recent uh, series of shows, as it's turned out. It really didn't intend, none of that was supposed to be a show about millennials. It was supposed to be a show about election results, which turned into a rant about millennials, which then had a series of follow-ups about millennials. And then finally, Kirk came on and said, I agree with you and I hate you all at the same time. So he's going to come talk to us about it. So, hey, Kirk. Hi there. Uh, where are you from, Kirk? Where do you where do you currently reside yourself? I am in Red Hat Country, Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay, so you're right up the road from me. So we mm-hmm. have uh, two Eastern time zones, a Central time zone, and uh, whatever miles is this week. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even well, know it, that. Arizona <laughs> is its own time zone because it's not a part of the time zone system. Right. Uh, I think you're currently aligned with Mountain Time, right? Um. Yes, I believe so. And then, but at least for the next next thirty minutes, right? And then, sometime in uh, March, you align with Pacific time. Is that right? Well, I wouldn't say align, <laughs> but yeah, we share the same time. Okay. <laughs> um. So anyway, um. That's that's all we got to say about that. So Miles will just uh no, you're Miles. Kirk will just be pitching in uh at any point throughout the show. Uh, he he is of course the the uh um the the discussion the interviewee but he's also going to be a co-host so uh, uh we'll see what he has to say so kirk feel free to jump right in um yeah, try not if you to know grow. anybody at red hat i tried to get a job there and they wouldn't even look at my resume so if you got any in there it'd be great yeah you really do have to know people actually i roll a blade with a guy who works at red hat uh, he's one of the big wigs and you know you send your resume in and he kind of sponsors you but uh, so far nothing so yeah so uh you know for me uh i'm not a i'm not nearly enough of a coder to be a coder i'm not enough of a network weenie anymore to do that advocacy would be my thing you know if they need somebody who's a loud mouth i'm really good at that Um, he is you've been listening to the show long (laughs) enough we'll get you sponsorship (laughs) all right so uh (laughs) Seth, I don't even know how to to lead into this. I try to. I pride myself on leading people into things, but how do you how do you go into big bag of meh? Uh, I don't know. You, you mean miles? <laughs> oh, that was me. Oh, okay. It was the yeah big bag of meh? I, it's Christmas time. Yeehee! It is. Um, yeah. So, do you guys like shopping? Uh, you know, just curious. <laughs> I like buying, which yeah. is not the same thing yeah. as shopping. Online only. Right. Online only. I, what about you, Seth? Are you in the same boat? I kind of like shopping. Um, I, whenever I have more money, it's more enjoyable. <laughs> but yeah, I, I kind of like the actual shopping experience. And I really like shopping used because then you get to haggle with the person over the price. And to me, a lot of times, that's more fun than whenever I actually agree on a price and buy the item. I'm like, couldn't we have argued some more? <laughs> so <laughs> It's time to haggle. Yeah. Um, no, well, I went out looking for Christmas gifts, and we have uh, I have my mother and mother in law and my sister in law staying with us for a few weeks from Australia right now. Uh, so we've got, you know, I've got quite a few gifts I've got to get for uh, Christmas. So out we go, me specifically into the wild blue yonder that is the mall, and man, I tell you what, it's so scary out there. I don't know how people do it all the time. I can't handle it. Um, I went out, I, the parking's horrendous, the whole bit, the whole experience is horrible. Anyway, 
I ran away from there and ended up going to the most common place that at least I know my way around, and that would be Best Buy. There you go. So, you know, what do you do? As a guy, you buy women gifts at Best Buy. <laughs> Very <Okay>. romantic. <laughs> Yeah, very romantic. Here, honey, here's a toaster and divorce papers. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm running out of ideas. So I go in there and all I see are like Oculus Rifts. I'm like, oh, mm. yeah, that's going to really work for me. Um, and, you know, the latest MacBook Blah that is going to be $3,000 to even go in and, and look at it. And it's just the whole thing is just horrible. So. I recalled from that and I came back to the uh, interwebs and I'm not finding anything. And so I, I put it out there more of the question than a statement. What do you get people for Christmas if you're a geek? What is the 2016 gift spectacular? Any ideas, you guys? Well, I have girls. And so the, the oldest one specifically, she's 14. She specifically said gift cards. Don't even try. Just give me a gift card. Um, I'm good with that. The 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 tween, she's 12. Uh, she's still into clothes and 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 stuff like that. As you know, getting older, but she's also still into toys. So she's kind of the hardest one. And the youngest one, you know, uh, baby dolls and stuff. So girls are are in my uh, shopping experience easier to buy for um, than than boys, and certainly easier than full on grown ups. Um, little girls uh, are still, you know, Doc McStuffins, we're good. Um, my problem, I run into two problems with shopping. One, I'm a tightwad. You know, the very first show I ever did on, on the internet was called Tightwad Tech. Um, I'm still uh, a, a geek, uh, a tightwad and a geek. And, and when you look at tech, those two things don't go together. You know, like you said, the $3,000 MacBook whatsoever. Um, but then also, uh, all of us, all of us who are listening to this show, have a uh, have an inherent uh, antisocial streak. That's why we 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 bond together. That's why we like this world. You know, I work in IT. There's uh, you know 150 people in my department, and they're all you know of a type. And that's a re- that's why we're all we all have the same job. So I, I get that. Uh, I don't. I hate going to the stores because that's where they keep the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I hate spending the money. So yeah, I, I feel your pain. But for me, uh, Amazon Prime uh, is the winner. Okay. Okay. I mean, I, I don't even want to say what I ended up deciding to get because a, it's this is getting broadcast before Christmas, <laughs> yes. and that would be suicide. Um, and the other thing is, it's probably really embarrassing because it's geeky, it's techy and geeky and TV and all that stuff. So I will leave it at that. But I, I really felt this year was a there was a lot of downright failures about 2016. But it really Christmas shopping really. That was right up there with Trump. I mean, it was bad. <laughs> so my mom is 73 years old, and she specifically asked for a Roku. Um, so hmm. she, she wanted to cut the cord. She had seen my experience. She, she came over to my house Thanksgiving and saw me navigating around the Roku and was asking, what kind of cable is that? And that's an understandable question considering her um, knowledge. And I said, well, it's not. It's called PlayStation View. And so while she was here... At Thanksgiving, at my house, she signed up for PlayStation View on her phone without yet having had an internet at her apartment. She just moved and not having a smart TV. So she's got uh, PlayStation View <laughs> she can't do anything with. So she specifically asked for a Roku. So that was kind of both uh, 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 cool and geeky and unexpected all at the same time. And you get to use it, too. Yeah, I think... Uh, 
Yeah, I think 2016 is going to be the year of retro where you look back to stuff like I know it's in the show notes here. There's a thing for Think Geek. I get their newsletter every day where they want to sell me stuff. But featured in it one time was a shit a set of Star Trek the original series bed sheets and that I, I looked at them and I went you know I'm a tightwad but you might have I don't to go think for that. I would mind having that and uh, so it, this is the retro you get you know you get something that reminds you of something you really like there's nothing new in 2016 yeah um, USB drives in various shapes are always a winner Kirk what what, what are your thoughts well, I got to say I'm a little bit selfish sometimes in getting other people gifts, particularly if I'm in the same geographic area. If I can use it too, that's part of the equation. <laughs> so, not not every single gift. Sometimes it's a completely selfish, uh, selfless glyph. But um, you know, if if it's something technology related, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be using it too. When I was, I don't know, five or six, my brother bought my mom a gift quote unquote bought my mom a gift right and literally i think it was a tape deck back in the days when there was like the piano tape deck with the with the the flat one you wouldn't know kirk the flat ones with the with <laughs> the extendable keys where you had to push you had to hold down record and play at the same time i think that's what it was if i remember correctly and as she opened it literally out of his eight-year-old mouth was i got this for you for christmas but don't touch it <laughs> um, because he bought it for him, not for her. And I think we all still do that. We just we're better at hiding it, right? Man, I tell you what, this is one of those things where it's better to receive than to give. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> at least it's easier. And and on the Christmas theme, and by the way, this is going to go out on uh, the twenty first. So it's it's three more shopping days till Christmas if you count uh, Christmas Eve as a shopping day. And let's face it most of us do um so uh even if you don't celebrate christmas um you probably know somebody who does um but something that's been bothering me and and this time of year of course it uh it rears its its ugly head but i've i've wanted to know this for years um and i thought well let's let's tap uh malcolm gladwell's wisdom of the crowds here and let's see what what the internet thinks my question is how many partridges were in that dang pear tree (laughs) so on the first day of christmas my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two calling birds and a partridge in a pear tree. That's two. Two turtle doves. Right. That's what I said, isn't it? Okay. You said calling okay, birds. Two, and okay. Some now, then it was three French hens, uh, two calling birds, uh, two turtle doves, excuse turtle me, doves. two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. So now, at this point, I'm up to three French hens, four turtle doves, and three partridges in three pear trees. Is that is that the Jeez, way you guys did, see that too? Did this come with an ivory? <laughs> <laughs> so at the at the end of it, you have a pear orchard um, and a flock of of partridges and like forty seven lords a leaping. Um, but is that is that right, or am I misreading this thing? This has been bothering me for years, and I need to put this to to rest. Yeah, I guess it's a permutation. I have to go back to my high school math. <laughs> It's Something. it's simply you're solving an infinite series at that point, right? So then your conden- your contention is on the second day of Christmas, you get two turtle doves and a second partridge in a second pear tree. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean that's what so the word said. The word just- is and specifically and a partridge. See, it's not with the partridge. It's and. See. 
Okay, but you could argue that you're only getting the partridge and not the pear tree. The in a pear tree could be describing where the partridge is. Okay, so I will accept that there's a possibility there's only a single tree, but that tree then has 13 partridges in it by by Christmas time. Yeah. Could be. I think... and on the 13th day, she gave you the Visa card statement. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. That must be an expensive Christmas. You know, they do that every year. They total up the 12 days of Christmas and tell you how much it would cost. And it's like one of those little um, fun inflation indicators. So, so I need to look at that and see if they're doing the, the, the 12 factorial or if they're actually right. doing the, the, the one. I, I don't know. I need to find that out. You know, well, here's the thing. Maybe the person they're giving it to has, like, Alzheimer's Alzheimer's, or dementia, and they're simply reminding them of what they got on the previous days. You know, you can have a bad memory. Uh, Only 140 characters long, anything over that you forget, so you got to remind people all the time. Exactly. You you also got to consider the life expectancy of the partridge. Well, that's true. Did it last 12 days? That's the question that's always been in the back of my mind. As a parent- that's always a consideration when m- one of my kids wants a pets. Uh, mm. and I, I literally said that to to one of one of my daughters. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say which one, but after sub- successive failures of of pet parenthood, she said to me, "I want to buy another of these things." And I said, "Honey, do you really want to kill another one?" <laughs> yeah, get her a robot dog. <laughs> Positive affirmation. Well, I right mean, at there. some point, though, you have to recognize the common denominator. Healthy pets come from pet store. We bury them a short time later. <laughs> Darla wouldn't stop oh, shaking man. the bag. <laughs> so, uh, Seth, maybe you now have the uh, um, the processing power to calculate the number of partridges in the pear tree with your new whiz bang uh, Bitcoin mining computing. Yes, well, I did get my uh, Bitcoin miner up and running yesterday. I finally sat down and figured it out and re- realized why I wasn't able to log into it and all that kind of stuff. And let me see here. I will give you live up to the second quotes of how much I have made because it's all it's been running for right now almost 24 hours. So dun, 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 as soon as my web page refreshes and I have to do Bitcoin is right now about $790. So times point, hold on, scintillating radio, folks, you don't get this anywhere else. And why would you want to really? I'm up to a dollar and 26 cents that I've made in 24 now, hours. Nice. Of Bitcoin. That's not counting the cost of running it. <laughs> that is, that is, this is gross returns. That is correct. Okay. <laughs> And let me see, in 24 hours of running it, so that would be 24 times, that would be, it would have, I've spent roughly $2.40. So. Oops. <laughs> so, wait, uh, I need to go back and hear that one again. So your your gross profit is $1 and change. Your net profit cents, yes. is negative $1.16. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> It'll get there eventually. But here's the thing. The room that the Bitcoin miner is sitting in, I have it opened up so it's not closed. It was warmer this morning than my bedroom clothes and a heater running full blast. (laughs) So I'm going to hook up a ducting system and I'm going to heat the whole house and I'm going to save money on um, our space heaters. Well, with that blue Um, norther that's coming through right now, you could just open the window and solve all your cooling problems, right? Probably because I mean, okay. 
it is cold <clears throat> when the low was 19 and the high was 31. I mean, come on. I understand people in Buffalo are like, yeah, okay, we'll call that a fall day, but you got it. When the high doesn't even reach up to the freezing point, that's cold. And it's cold. And the hard thing is, yesterday afternoon, it was like 73 degrees. And last night about midnight, it was like 25 degrees. So in like less than 12 hours, we had a 50 degree temperature swing. Welcome to Texas. And it's not even winter yet. Yeah. I was talking with one of my northern uh, dwelling friends, North Dakota, somewhere up in that general area. And 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 he, I asked him what the temperature was. He said it was negative two. It's like, no, that's not even a real temperature. That's an imaginary number. You you can't have a negative. I can't be negative two years old. That's not a real temperature. You're making that up. Um, <laughs> or, or, I mean, apparently he's going to have to warm up a little to get to no temperature. Exactly. <laughs> right. Converted Celsius. Wow. We're, we're, nice. we're completely overrun with snowbirds here in Arizona. So if you ever want to get down here, you're welcome to. It was 78 degrees next week every day. Uh, Sorry about yeah, that. That sounds boring don't, after don't a while, i got to say. Yeah, it's, it is. It's hard. It's 35 it's hard. and rainy in the Atlanta <laughs> Metroplex, which is chilly, but uh, not miserably so. All right. So that was a whole bunch of, of talk about nothing. Uh, it's almost like we're the Seinfeld show. So let's get on to uh, some mini rants provided by our listeners. Uh, this is a link I will supply in the, the show notes. Uh, Brian uh, says, Mark, you and others might enjoy this Christmas column. It's from my hometown newspaper and first appeared in the 1950s. Merry Christmas to all of you. I enjoy the show. Uh, so I'm not going to take the time to read it because it's fairly long, but um, Essentially, uh, from the Kansas City Star, Bill Vaughn says, uh, had a conversation with his daughter, tell me a story of Christmas. And he went through the usual ones with puppies and Christmas trees and, and, and elves and all that. And then uh, I, I won't spoil the ending after that. But tell me a story of Christmas. And uh, you'll have to go to the, the website, elementop.com, to check it out. So, so there you go. A little teaser. Um, I thought I'm not. I won't spoil it, but I did enjoy it. All right, uh, and then uh, Will, uh, who has been a, a regular contributor, uh, he, I've been sitting on this one for a little while. Uh, so it's uh, he he was behind on it, and then I was even more behind on bring it to you. But he has some uh, some comments on the whole millennial thing, and I thought we might use this as a jumping off point into our discussion with our friend Kirk here. Says, hey guys, I'm a little behind on podcasts, so this is in response to episode 259. It might also become a rant, so I apologize in advance. Well, that's sort of built right into the show, Will. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Uh, I am a millennial, so I feel that I have a good grasp on the response that some of my peers have had to this whole election thing. Our generation is splintered more than any other. We grew up with the internet, so any crazy niche that uh, you had could be filled easily. If you believe you are part wolf, then there's a group online that will enable that delusion. If you would like to be funny for Donald Trump, uh, if you think it would be funny for Donald Trump to be elected president, there's a whole group of people online that will help you make that happen. Mark mentioned that the Generation Z kids seem to be tired of the whining. Well, it's not just them. The vast majority of millennials are tired of it as well, and we're tired of it when we stopped being friends with these people and we saw them th- when we saw them throw the temper tantrum at their birthday party because their dad bought the wrong flavor of cake or their mom gave the same video game that a friend did. There's a civil war brewing under the surface in my generation, and this is just the first time that others are seeing it. The way I see it, there are three main groups that are causing these riots. There's the group you already mentioned that are just doing it because they don't know how to deal with failure because their parents went along with all of that everyone wins BS. These people are a pretty small segment of the whole millennial population, though there's not, uh, though, and are nothing to worry about. 
Then there are the kids who got sucked into this PC rhetoric, and they literally think that Trump is the next Hitler and that all Muslims in the country will be rounded up and put into camps in early February. These people are the most genuine, albeit a bit misguided. They are acting out not of um, they are acting out not out of inability to deal with the failure, but out of a sincere fear of what Trump will do as president and a severe lack of understanding of what the president can do. And there's the third, and in my opinion, most dangerous group that is causing all this ruckus. These are the internet trolls and the cyber bullies released into the real world. They are the ones who voted for Trump for the express purpose of watching prior sex of our generation melt down. Not saying that's why everybody voted for him, but many people just believed in his message, and that's why these people voted for him. They are the ones stirring the pot and adding flames to a fire by spray-painting messages on college campuses and hanging posters uh, all over that they know will rile up their peers. For them, chaos is for chaos' sake, for the lulls. And for their message, I agree, they don't have one. They're simply saying, well, give me what I want or I'm going to hold my breath till I pass out, which is why I'm not calling it protesting. I'm calling it acting out. Regardless of how sincere they might be, they are not thinking. They are acting out of passion and nothing more. Abraham Lincoln once said, passion has helped us, but can do so no more. In the future, it will be our enemy. Reason, cold, calculating, unimpassioned reason must furnish all the materials for our future support and defense. I feel that this is the passion he was talking about. Thanks for the show, Will. I could not have written a better uh, diatribe than that. So let's go to our resident millennial. And uh, Kirk, what do you think about that? That was a very good rant. To add to it, I think an ignorance of history is really causing people to compare Trump to Hitler, for instance, because they don't really know exactly how extreme it could be. They have never seen anything before. So, and also the fact that they're acting out of emotion as opposed to reason is probably one of the biggest issues. Um, there's something called virtue signaling. You may have heard that before. So basically... And it ties into slacktivism, too, where you go on Twitter and you say, well, I, I hate rape. So, well, duh, of course you do. Or I hate Trump because I, I think he does this. So instead of taking an actual measure change in the um, or to your problem, you go out and you write or you go out and you do something useless, like just post on the Internet. So I really have to agree with pretty much everything you said, actually. All right. You know, I liked uh, I liked his phrase. I don't consider that uh, protesting. I consider that acting out. Yeah. That is awesome, and I would love to have been able to get that inserted into the narrative somewhere because that's one of those catchy sound bites that could stick. You know, I wonder if if you know, <clears throat> it's kind of, I don't want to use the term back in my day because that would be uh, inappropriate, but. It, it, protesting used to have a certain bar you had to cross, like you had to actually go out of the house with a sign and go and march and stand with a whole group of other people in the freezing cold and protest, right? There was, you had to do something. There was a physical exertion involved in doing that. Um, it doesn't take a great deal of time to sit at the bottom of a YouTube feed and comment or send a tweet out. And I'm just wondering if the low barrier to entry here is what's driving a lot of this. Not just low barrier to entry, but no no um, consequences to your actions at all. Uh, so oh, it's sure. a double whammy there. Anybody can do it, and it costs nothing to be wrong. Yeah, well, there's you know, and part of this goes into the um, the counterculture mainstream education that has taken hold that 
protesters are superheroes. And if you protest, you're automatically above reproach, above recrimination, above any type of consequences. And so when somebody goes out and, you know, like a Colin Kaepernick protesting at the NFL, at, you know, at the national anthem. Okay. I mean, that's his right. If he wants to do it, great. But that does the fact that he's protesting isn't a get out of jail free card to consequences of, you know, I don't like the 49ers anyway. And therefore, if that's the only game on, I'm not watching football, you know, and I could care less about him because when he does play, he plays like crap. So I don't care. And he throws, he throws, I don't know, I want to say oil on the fire and it doesn't do a good job to me because all he's doing is just like protesting and wanting to be treated like a hero for protesting and not prepared to deal with the repercussions of his protests. And that's something that these latest round of uh, election protesters weren't prepared that there could be consequences to their protests or acting out. And I think that is something that history and civics and anything else has failed to teach that, you know, a lot of those protesters got thrown in jail Mm -hmm. before any type of change came. And nobody talks about that. If you go back and and look at, for example, the the Democratic primary in in the 60s, they didn't just go to jail. They were chewed up by dogs and they were beaten by police. There was a real uh, consequence to those actions. I'm not saying that's appropriate by any means. I'm not defending police brutality of peaceful protesters. Um, I, I'm also not defending non-peaceful protests. Uh, but uh, the the point is that the after that happened early on in uh, in the process, everybody who protested from then on understood there was a price to pay. It was on the news. It was on the cover of Time. Everybody knew there was a price to pay. Um, and, and they still did it anyway because they believed in it. I don't think from my experience, from my observations, that's a better word, that the people doing the protest, protesting today believe in it enough to pay a price for it. Oh, no, there are exceptions. I mean, think about the Dakota pipeline that just got, they just flipped that, that thing over by actually going out there and protesting in minus degrees out in, you know, in the freezing cold. Um, it does work, but you're right. It's not. I mean, I, I also think back to like uh, Occupy Wall Street. I mean, they were out there for what it, years. It felt like in all different seasons, and they didn't get what they wanted. Right. Yeah, but don't bring up the Dakota Pipeline because they are simply protesters in search of an audience. Because what they're protesting is a load of crap. They're trying to make a non-story into a story. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that that pipeline isn't anywhere close to the tribal lands or that the tribal leaders blew off the government when the government tried to meet with them. Or that it's only one of literally hundreds of pipelines that cross rivers in the country. Everybody just wants to say, Oh, oh. Well, you could and, say the yeah, same no, thing no, about I, Occupy Wall Street. They they were complaining that some people are rich. Um, right. Yeah, that's true. And using their iPhones to do it. I think it's <laughs> using yes, all the modern right. technology that's made by a corporation. Uh, speaking about the pipeline, I find that interesting because on one hand, people say we need to get out of the Middle East. We need to be energy independent. But on the other hand, we don't want to do something like the pipeline. So you have to you know, in order to make an omelet, you have to break a few eggs. And if you think being in the Middle East or any of these other places is a big problem, then what alternative are you talking about? Everybody's just going to have an electric car. Maybe that's not going to happen very quickly. 
You know, you can't just well, say, boom, it's magic, and all of a sudden we have it. Kirk, that is seditious Republican Generation X uh, talk there. Are you allowed to say that? Is is there a union who's going to come uh, and and censor you for that? I don't think so. I'm one of the older millennials, so I kind of get away with it. I overlap. So... <laughs> I'm just saying you, you bring up a good point, though. You do bring up a good point, because the one thing that you uh, I, I'm going to read into what you said, and I think you either said it or you suggested it, and that is that the uh, reliance on Middle East energy didn't happen overnight. I mean, it took decades for us to become reliant on that, and it's not going to happen. And a solution to get out of that isn't going to be an overnight solution either. It's going to take decades to get out of it. So... If I'm reading you right, you're saying, what do we do in the interim? We have to have energy somehow. Right. People need to be realistic. And um, a lot of people have mentioned that the entitled attitude of, unfortunately, a lot of millennials and the fact that you can get everything so quickly maybe conditions you to think that everything is something you can get very quickly, even though it's completely unrealistic. Ah. So, Interesting point. Uh, I did want to pick your brain about one thing that Will said. So this is sort of uh, uh, Kirk and Will going at it, and, and unfortunately, Will's not here to uh, to defend himself. So I will. That's uh, yeah. perfect. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the that's internet way. I like. Uh, we don't we don't want a fair fight. He brought up this theme of uneducated, uh, and it's something that I think all three of us uh, here have have commented before. Um, I was talking with somebody, a young person, uh, twenty one. 20 somewhere around that area um and and this person um had a true real fear that trump was going to uh go in on his on his first day in office and via executive orders overturn a number of significant legislation such as for example obamacare and uh and that he was just going to make that all go away with uh, a signature on a piece of paper on the first day and that says to me this person has no idea what the president can actually do, um, and and so uh, I, I have the, there, there's a two point thing there uh, that I want to ask Kirk. Do you agree that there is a level of of uneducated, uh, uninformed uh, behavior? You know that makes these uh, to to borrow a phrase, sincere idiots. Um, they're sincere, but they they just don't know. And idiot that's a harsh term. There, I'm just I'm using somebody else's words, um, but. If, if that is true, if you will concede that point, whose fault is that? Is that it? it is it we, the older generations, the Xers and the, and the boomers who did the teaching that failed them? Well, people might be getting educated, but it's a very, very different kind of education than they used to get. So there's an emphasis on gender studies, for instance, <laughs> or somebody goes in for. I'm sorry, I can't hear that and not laugh. I'm sorry. I mean that's the way it is in a lot of these a lot of these colleges. So basically the curricula they're they're a little bit different and this actually didn't happen it probably happened maybe within the last 20 or 30 years. So you have a whole generation growing up saying or not really being taught about any of the three levels of government, how things actually get done what somebody should be called, what their proper gender should be. Identity politics, I'm just going back to when I was in college, was a really big issue. How do you define yourself? So so it's not really being uneducated, it's just being improperly educated and focus on things that 
I'm not going to get them a good job. I'm not going to teach them anything about politics. So, again, I'm not going to, I'm not an expert in any of this, but right. this is just what I've noticed anecdotally and what people have been saying, particularly with Occupy. They're going there and basically impeding. They're not trying to go to a town hall meeting. They're not trying to talk to anybody. They're basically just shouting outside for a long, long time. And I don't think it really has any result in the real world except irritating people, getting in their way. It's the same thing with the mass bicycle protest. Basically, you have a 100 people on the road, a 100 bicyclists on the road, and everybody else is trying to get to work. And all they're doing is saying, well, you don't have the right to go to the work, basically, because you're driving a, a car. So, okay, I, I understand that you have a certain position, but you have no right to impose yourself upon everybody else this way. As if, you know, Joe Schmo, who's just trying to get to his 9-to-5 job, is part of the Illuminati or part of the, the corporate elite. No, he, he's somebody who's just trying to put food on his table, so... I think another part of it that, um, you know, you talked about is they watched a president for the last eight years rule by executive fiat. You know, um, you could tell by the way the government part, the Republican party opposed Trump, whether you're Republican, Democrat or whatever, you can tell they didn't try to oppose, um, Obama at all because if they would have put that much effort into stopping Obama, it, our country would look very different today. But all they did was say, we're going to do nothing in Congress. And therefore, right or wrong, the president then chose to rule by executive order. And so a lot of these people who have spent the last eight years coming of age with a very progressive, the government's going to give me something I didn't have to work for. Now, all of a sudden, oh, crap, the government's going to take away what they gave me. And how am I going to use my gender studies? of prehistoric marsupian mammals to get a job in the real world and uh you know so now they better be afraid because you know there's only you know who cares if it was a if it was a boy a girl or a 17th gender twice removed on their grandparents side when you're flipping burgers and saying would you like fries with that so and that's what it's what to. i'm hearing both you and kirk say seth is that they're not uneducated they're educated in the wrong things and and to go back to to my question about whose fault is it? Um, now we have to look at the the college uh, system. The fact that we that most colleges are for profit, and the way you make money is by teaching people things they want to be taught, whether they're relevant or not. Miles, you have any thoughts on that? Um, no, I think you're right, and I think that there's a potential that. By the time an entry-level college student goes in now and comes out, let's say, four or six years later, that the world will look in an incredibly different place than it does today, particularly because of automation. And a lot of the jobs that they might have gone into thinking that there was going to be a positive end result of doing that, they're finding that they don't. Uh, they don't have it. Um, so you, you're right. There's, there's those that go in there to choose to study philosophy or you know, uh, I don't know, world religions or something like that, but have no interest in becoming part of the clergy or, or whatever. And and they come out the other end going, right, now what am I qualified to do? And it's it's the, uh, do you want fries with that job? Yeah. And then the others who went in there with best intentions, maybe they went in to become accountants. They went in to become, uh, I don't know, um, uh, steel workers, uh, you know, welders. And we, they come out and they find robots doing all their jobs. And now they're going... Do you want fries with that? Mm. So one way or another, everybody's upset 
because they're all carrying around $150,000 mortgage on their back and they haven't got a house yet. So, uh, you know, I graduated 20 years ago. Um, and even going back farther than that, the, the, maybe the 10 to 15 to 20 years before I, I was uh, in college, there was an overemphasis on thinkers and an underemphasis on producers. Um, and so we everybody thinks that they're going to go get a job where I think for a living and so we trained to people to do that, you know, uh, be that you know, the, the gender studies, right? What is the useful outcome of gender studies? Well, nothing. You can think deep thoughts about men and women, uh, you know, philosophy degrees. What is the useful outcome of philosophy? Uh, as as uh, um, Bruce Lee said, you can th- think deep thoughts about being unemployed. Um, and, you know, lawyers that we had a glut of lawyers in the 80s because everybody trained to be a lawyer. And there, there just wasn't enough places for them. And so colleges have been out of step for a long time now with the world around them. And Miles, as you point out, you're playing a game of, of guess the future or, or catch up to the past. Either way, there's no good way to do it. Uh, but teaching people a useful skill or useful coping skills that are useful in every situation um, has fallen out of favor. Sorry, I was going to Go say... Well, teaching people how to think using critical reasoning is something I don't think that's really that's really being focused on in a lot of college campuses. Basically, how Amen. can you regurgitate information? But also, in terms of uh, technological unemployment, I wrote in to you guys a few episodes ago, and to to talk about what you were saying about Miles is kind of we're being squeezed at both ends. You have to become exceptional, almost, to get a six-digit career, a six-digit salary. Because, you know, I mean, if you study philosophy, psychology, gender studies, anything like that, yes, you do have a bachelor's, but if you don't have any sort of, you know, coding background, if you're not on GitHub every day, if you don't know anybody in the industry, then people are probably just going to throw your resume away. And then there are all the jobs that everybody else is competing for, the McDonald's jobs. And so it's a very difficult situation. Yeah, I, I, um, I've mentioned a few shows back and this is becoming a stronger and stronger point that I'm finding myself reverting back to a lot is that we have to start training, uh, people and, and whatever gender or uh, sorry, gender, whatever generation we want to class them in, whether it be millennials or Gen Z or whatever it might be. Um, we need to train people that this this constant habit of doing the go to college to get trained to go and get a job, if that's working less and less and less, and this becomes as Mark as you rightly put a, a future gamble. You know, you're betting on what the future is going to be. Maybe you should focus not on getting a job, but maybe you should focus on getting rich. And and I don't mean that in a greed manner. I mean that in the point of view of acquisition. Don't go out there trying to learn to be somebody else's employee. Go out there to become somebody who owns the building that the company works in. But the the or, problem with know. that, Miles, and, and forgive my interruption, but uh, no, go this goes right back to the point that you just made earlier about the Occupy movement. Uh, this entire group of people, and, and going all the way back to my generation, all the way back to the kids who went to school in, in you know 1985, uh, they were taught that uh, being rich is bad. Evil people are rich. Um, you know, the, as I commented uh, earlier, the, the hippies became the yuppies, uh, and they went from protesting the rich to becoming the rich, but they never lost that 
uh, gene of hating the rich, even though they became the rich. And so that ethos kind of came down and rich people are bad. We, we don't want to be rich. We want to be middle class, whatever that means. That's what everybody's chasing, the middle class. And, and I think, as Kirk pointed out, the middle class is disappearing. You're either going to be uh, rich or poor. Um, and, you know, as I've said before, the middle class is a uniquely American thing, not only uniquely American, but uniquely 20th century American. Mm. Yeah, no, you're right. And, I, and I'm thinking we need to break the paradigm here because the whole reason why we work is well, effectively for two things. One is ego validation so that we feel that we're actually doing something that makes us feel good and contributing and all those things that, you know, are those sort of psychological aspects of work. And then the second is to make money. And we make money to provide security to ourselves, to our family, um, to be able to provide a legacy, to be able to give back to, you know, all the benefits that come with that. They're not evil. There's nothing wrong with that. In, in, a, in a true free market world, we should be encouraged to go out there and do very well. Because by doing very well, we help circulate that wealth back into the economy. And you don't need a job to do that. That's the key thing that I, I, I will say this uh, to, to further that thought. I discovered a uh, group out of Canada who have a website called millennial-revolution.com. And it's a husband and wife, uh, young guys, who have decided to give up the whole premise of owning a house they're traveling the world and they're already retired and they're in their early 30s. Hmm. And I encounter this over and over and over again with people that I'm discovering who give me so much faith in the future of this generation <coughs> that they're breaking the paradigm. They're disruptors. They're getting rid of the old concept of working 40-something years of your life and getting a, a gold watch. I'm, I'm sorry, that just doesn't work anymore. We have to throw that out and we have to stop training people in college to assume that that is the norm. It, it was. It isn't now. It's certainly not if you want to succeed. Kirk, I can tell you were biting your tongue there. What did you have to say? Well, not really biting my tongue, actually. Well, having a career, as a lot of people know, doesn't really exist anymore. People are job hopping like crazy. If they want to try to get a salary, they might leave after a year or two. Maybe five years is the general amount of time that people are spending. But since you broached the topic about where all this is coming from, I didn't want to use the word hippies, <laughs> but that might be one of the sources of the current ethos on college, on the college campuses saying, well, cultural Marxism may be the way to do it. I know that's kind of a facile way to put things. I did encounter some of it myself. And then George Carlin does a very good bit on this, too. The notion that you have to be protected from failure, you have to be protected from your feelings, just means that people are going to experience that 10 or 15 years later than they should have. And the the uh, the name of this episode is um, Everybody Gets a Trophy, basically a participation trophy. That's kind of true. I think that is pretty damaging to people's psyche. If you don't even have to try, you just have to show up and you get something, well, why would you try? Unless, of course, there's something else motivating you. But what normally motivated people in years past, which is, you know, you have to step over the other guy and try to be the best. If you don't need to do that anymore, well, why would you? And I, again, I don't agree with that, no. that notion. It's just that is it's trying to protect people from their feelings. 
Well, it's not just stepping over somebody. So I, you I, you had me up until that last statement. Well, maybe just competition, uh, that, general. But. Uh, well, the it's not about the competition the way I see it, but it's fear of failure. Um, it, what motivates people, I'm a dad. What motivates me as a dad is the thought of my children uh, shivering on the cold uh, Atlanta streets because I wasn't man enough to give them a house. That That's what motivates me. Um, and and as as big a fan I as I am of the concept of a social safety net, I, I you know I've gone on record many times as saying it shouldn't be the government; it should be the church that does that. But either way, I believe there is a place for a social safety net. It should be a safety net, not a success guarantee. And we have created a culture in our American society where failure is not only. Um, uh, uh, something is not only something no longer something to fear it's almost not possible because our poor people live like kings as compared to other countries rich people uh and we just think that that's just the way it should be and and we deserve by birthright to be a part of that uh, you know mythical middle class uh because we do and so there's no motivation because the fear of failure is gone there are so many systems in place to make sure that you don't have to pay the for the consequences of your actions that people don't and so we've we're raising um whole generations of people that don't know how to fail they don't know the what it's like to fail they don't know why they should fear failure hmm well i didn't get that memo well and it's (laughs) it's also though the the people my age our age you know early early to mid 40s now have kids you know late teens to early 20s and our age our parents wanted to protect us from bad stuff and we equated that to kind of keep the peace and how many times do you see the parent in walmart give in to the kid to give them that sucker or that toy so they won't throw a fit they won't throw a tantrum and you'll just soothe them and every and you know once you do that once it's twice as hard to make them act up act right the second time because they equate acting up with getting their way and so eventually it's going to come to where they don't get their way and they end up throwing a big hissy fit because along the way we've all been coddled far too much and you know but it 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 didn't start with this generation it started with the generation before and the one before that you know the the yuppies who were working 20,000 hours a week in pursuit of the almighty dollar and the 40 foot yacht and the third vacation home and were never at home for their kids gave birth to kids who were all about making sure their kids oh the unconditional positive regard oh you didn't do anything wrong my princess you know oh you're a hero you showed up for the game here's your trophy and it's the exact same size as the one that won and your trophy is actually better because you stuck through to the end even though you lost and that makes you a winner and now their parents and they're going I don't have a clue how to play this game called life. And therefore, because I don't have a clue, I certainly can't teach my kids anything. And so the kids that are coming of age now, man, they're just, they're getting all screwed because somewhere along the way, we believed a lie that said it's the government's responsibility to train and teach teach children rather than the family's responsibility i mean if you want to start a war on a college campus you walk in and say it's the parents job to make sure the children are educated no that's what the school's for blah blah blah, blah. i was like whether you go to school or homeschool it's still the parents job to make sure the child's educated and 
dude, that'll, that'll start a fight quicker than anything, quicker than God or politics. Just before we go any further, as one person who possesses a useless counseling degree to another who possesses a useless, useless counseling degree, nice quotation of Carl Rogers there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't remember much else, but unconditional positive regard. But that actually goes to my point. Seth and I both have useless degrees. Um, Counseling is uh, a profession by which a bachelor's degree allows you to sweep the floors in a counseling center. A master's degree allows you to file papers in a counseling center. And a a doctorate degree will guarantee you a $35,000 a year job. Um, And we both we bought that line we we were suckered into that degree that's where we met in that degree program right but we didn't go out there we didn't say because we have this degree the world owes owes us money you know i'm not doing that job because i recognize that it was a useless degree and i regret that i spent money on it Uh, however i didn't spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on it because i wasn't stupid Enough to go to a you know a forty thousand dollar a year um, a school when I could only afford five thousand dollars a year. Um, so there's there is a, a level of personal responsibility that comes with all of this, and I think we're missing that point every step of the way. That, oh, and this brings up another point: people are people older than us. You don't understand college now because my brothers were able to pay for their college off of a part-time job and working the summers that gave them enough to pay for their tuition, pay for their room, pay for their board and still have money a little bit to spend on doing stuff. My first semester in college, the fall of 1990, 17 hours was like $476 because that was one of the first checks I ever wrote out of the checking account I got with money from graduation. My last semester, because I was on the extended plan, the fall of 1999, 17 hours was over $1,700. So it increased fourfold in less than 10 years. And the rate of increase really hasn't slowed down since then. So if you're older than me, you could work your way through college and come out with no debt. If you're my age, you understand debt. And if you're younger than me, you know, when you die, your debt I, still can't I, get I past I just don't agree with that, yet. Seth. It all depends on where you go to school. What they're, If you spend two years at a junior college and then spend the last two years working your butt off, you can do it. People are doing it every day. So it's it's a cop-out to say you can't get out of college without debt. Well, I mean, we're talking in generalities here, but it's a much more expensive and much harder to do than it was before. You know, used to the part-time job and the working summers, you could come out of college with no debt. Now, it's almost a full-time job and fitting college in and finding four dozen roommates in a one-bedroom apartment. So, yes, it can be done, but it's sort of like the shrinking middle class. Yes, the middle class is out there, but it's not near as big as it used to be. Yes, it can be done, but it's fewer places and much harder to do. So, Miles, you have a, a, a student in college right now. Admit you're a rich white guy but what's your take on this um there's no progress without risk that's my take on it putting my situation with my daughter in college aside at the moment i would say that the reason why a majority of people choose to go into college as a de facto position is because they have no ability to stomach risk in their life they don't know what it's like to go out there without a degree and go into a, into the workforce and try to make a go of it. Um, they don't understand the, the 
and I'm going to throw a few words out here. They don't understand how to hustle. They don't understand how to sell and market themselves very well. They don't understand or have any confidence in their ability to make money as an individual, and therefore they fall back on the college as being a way to try to avoid that risk. Now, not all people have the stomach, you know, for going out there as, as businessmen, as entrepreneurs, as whatever you want to call them investors as capitalists that that's that takes brass you know what's it anyway um some people don't have that stomach that's not what they want to do and therefore maybe college is a good fit for them in my case with my daughter we didn't know yet and so we fell back to that de facto (coughs) position but at the end of the day to come out at the other end of college to walk into a real world where risk management is what the is what it's all about and being able to do those things like sell yourself at job interviews hustle know about you know sense opportunity take advantage position yourself for things in advance understand the value of capital money finance all those things that you need to learn and let's face it they don't teach you in college those things are what you rely on to survive out there once you leave college and no one's getting prepped for it. So to spend $200,000 to be prepped not for the real world, I don't know. You're going to have to have a strategy here that makes sense within all of that. Well, part of the narrative is in order to get any sort of good job, you have to have a bachelor's. So people are constantly being told that and... Miles, you mentioned that they're not really learning the, the skills in college. They're also not learning it in high school and before. So I think they feel mm-hmm. that going to college is going to compensate for some of the skills they never learned there. This is going to sound conspiratorial. George Carlin, again, talked about it, that they're deliberately dumbing down the curriculum. So people just accept junky jobs with no overtime, you know, with benefits or without benefits, excuse me. So they're smart enough to man the machines, but they're not smart enough to actually leave the job. And so I think that's partly what's happening in high school and earlier. They're not learning things like trades. So they feel, I have to continue on this completely intellectual path. Let me go to college, get a liberal arts degree, something like that, as opposed to just saying, okay, maybe I could go to community college. Maybe I could go to a trade school, apprenticeship, anything like that. And Mike Rowe talked about this. That's really not the fashion anymore. That's not promoted. Yeah, I look, the way I look at it is that no matter what path you want to take in order to earn money, if you don't in your very young years when you have effectively very minimal amounts of actual expense, you're not raising a family, having to put other kids through college, paying for a mortgage, you're at that entry level point. If you're not banking 50% of what you what you earn after tax and you're not putting that money away so that that money starts to generate money for you, you will have no hope whatsoever and you'll always be the employee. And it has to be done at that very, very, very early age, right at the time when everybody exiting college doesn't think it's important. Yeah. And if we can just change that paradigm and flip it on its head and say the thing you've got to do is bank half of what you earn right now and you've got to invest it wisely and you know what i know people all the time who are retiring in their 30s for the rest of their life with millions of dollars and all they were were making fifty thousand dollars as a teacher or as a, a mechanical engineer it's just that they did it right. Well, And no, they're not being taught that in college. You're right. The, the core principle there is live on less than you make. And that yeah. that 
is anti-American. That's communistic thinking. That is uh, seditious thought to live on less than you make. The, the American way is to live on 150% of what you make. And, and that goes back to my uh, tirade about college. If you're going to a college you can't afford, you're already you know, starting with uh, you know, a problem. You, you're, you're not uh, living on less than you make. You're living, and, and I get it. You're a college student. You don't make much. But, you know, Seth, you went to school for nine years. There's no shame in that. Uh, unfortunately, there is a stigma associated with, you know, it took me six years to get my four-year degree. And that's what's what I say. I buckled down. I worked hard. I got my four-year degree in only six years. That's a funny little joke that I tell at parties, but I did work hard. I worked my butt off to get my four-year degree in six years because I paid for every penny of it or a good chunk of it. I did have some some uh, government loans because I was, or not loans, but uh, government grants because I was a low-income person, but they didn't cover everything. They didn't cover half of it. So I, you know, I... I worked. I worked hard. I went from one job to another job to another job, and then I went to school. And then I got out of school, and I went to one job, and then to another job, and then to another job. Uh, and it took me six years to do it. And I'm dang proud of those six years that I worked my way through college. But but that that mentality uh, was anachronistic 25 years ago, and it's it, practically unheard of now. Yeah, I know. One of the things that really helped me was, you know, I mean, yeah, I went. It took me nine years, but some of that time I wasn't even in school. I went to college cause I didn't want to face the real world. And then I flunked out of college and I had to face the real world. And all of a sudden I realized maybe it would be easier to face the real world with a college degree. And then I wanted to go to college and I tell people I made all four lists. I made the um, academic probation and academic suspension. And then when I was ready for college, I made the Dean's list and the president's list. So sometimes, you know, I, I felt, I quote unquote, failed at life. I failed at college and failed at life and then realized, wait a minute, I think I can do college better. Let me try. And then when I tried, I did and I set myself up for future success. But, you know, anyway, so yeah. And that goes to something Kirk said earlier about the narrative is that you have to have a bachelor's degree to get a job. I actually agree with that. I think that makes sense. But I've, as a hiring manager uh, back in my days uh, of doing that, and I know that's that sounds pompous when my department was two people, but still, I was a hiring manager. Um, the, and this was something that, that my boss, my uh, superintendent of schools there uh, told me, and, and I, I never thought of it this way, but this was a guy, he was a, you know, a boomer, uh, and he said, what the college degree shows me is not that you uh, are smart, Lots of dumb people have college degrees. It doesn't show me that you are a hard worker. Lots of lazy people get college degrees. What it shows me is that you can do something difficult for a long time and see it through. Um, and, and in his mind's, uh, 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 in his mind's eye, uh, military uh, meant the same thing. So if you had uh, four years of military experience or four years of college, either one of those things told you told him that you can do a hard thing and see it through. And I think I never really put it in, uh, in those terms before, but since then I've seen that played out many times in being both an employee and an employer where that degree, it doesn't really matter what your degree is. Like I said, I, I don't on my resume, I don't even put what my degree is in. I just put Bachelor of Science uh, because then it's harder, to, you know, it's less work to explain why I have a degree in counseling with a minor in psychology and a, and a second minor in Spanish lit. Um, and I want to work on your uh, computer uh, software systems. Um, but if I just put Bachelor of Science, they go, OK, that proves to me that this guy can see a hard thing through. 
Um, and so, yeah, you do have to have a college degree to get a good uh, portion of the uh, upper crust jobs in the world today. But that's okay. And, and I've never seen a, uh, uh, an application anywhere that asked what your GPA was when you graduated. They just want to know that you saw it through. Yeah, you talked about grit, and, basically having that mental persistence. And more important than any of the courses you take, yeah, just being able to finish that. There are a lot of people who go to college for three or four years, and they never complete their dissertation. So the most difficult part of college for a lot of people is the dissertation, is their thesis. And that's the part why they fail. So maybe they have as much knowledge as somebody else who got the degree, but they just can't finish that. So, and that goes to to what Miles was saying that the one of those soft skills that you have to have is the ability to finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would also go to the ability to live on ramen noodles for four years. <laughs> And the ability to not fall into being a frat boy and, and you know, coming out with a bachelor of I can drink a case of beer and a half every night. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of things that are kind of subtle, but in fact, in my opinion, become really the critical things you learn in college. Like, how do you live without your parents? How do you survive, uh, you know, with other people sharing a, 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 a a dorm or a room. Uh, how do you deal with that? How do you manage to control a motor vehicle while you're in college, pay for it, put gas in it, pay the insurance and whatever else? How do you get a part-time job to do it while you're there? If you add all those things up alone, there's your education. The fact you came out with a law degree, well, you know, okay, now do that. But really what you learnt was how do I live in ramen noodles? How do I fix my own car? How do I not get drunk every every night? How do I learn to live with other people? How do I exist in the, that's college to me. You come out with that, you got something. And that is why the bachelor of whatever doesn't really matter. Right. Is you came through that process and survived. And I think you can actually abstract it a little bit further. And it's not so much the college degree. It's the work somewhere you had to put in some work. And if you don't want to go to college and, you know, you want to start, you know, in the oil fields or whatever, and you're, you know, your work might not look like the person's work next to you, but the core factor among everybody who quote unquote succeeded is that somewhere along the line, they had to put in the work. And if the work wasn't the college degree, the work was the hustle that you did. 27 different side jobs because McDonald's wouldn't hire you because they thought you were a slacker. And then, you know, you work those 27 side jobs for a years and you turned profit. The next thing you know, you know, you're worth something to some company at a six figure position. You put in the work, somebody who went to college and did all the, I love ramen noodles, even though I'll puke if I eat them again, kind of thing. They put in the work too. The work's not the same, but the work is the work and you can't get away from the work. So, we, yeah. you know, because there's some people who just, you know, if if a college degree was success in life, they would forever be a failure because the education system isn't for them. Working is for them. And they can put in the work that is work rather than the work that is getting the degree. And, and so, so that's just so Seth, to talk to your story that during that time of your life where you were invited not to return um, to <clears throat> the university, the reason for that was because you weren't willing to do the work. 
and that woke Precisely. you up and you learned the lesson. A- another good friend of mine uh, was in that same boat. He was just failing out of college, not doing well. And he said, I'm going to go join the army. They'll either make me or break me. Um, and they made him and they made him into a man because <laughs> when you go to the army, you have to work. You don't have a choice. You work or you go to prison. Um, and I, I, I've, you know, I've said this many times, the value, the greatest uh, single value that anybody can bring to any corporation is work. Whatever that is, being willing to produce, and what I said earlier, be a, a producer, not a thinker. If you can produce thoughts, that's even better. But the, what the world needs is is people who are producers and not consumers. Now, Mark, you were talking earlier before about the ability to handle failure. I guess you guys have heard about the, the boomerang generation. How? Yes. So I think that's kind of part of it. Any parents out there, don't bail your kids out at the first sign of failure. Because it just, it prolongs the misery. They have to go out there and, you know, earn their marks, basically. I I didn't like to accept money from parents. I did stay with, you know, my parents a little bit longer than I feel I should have. But then I finally became independent to a certain degree. It's just, again, I, I have to really stress this. Do not try to be a lifeline up until, you know age 30, age 40, anything like that. It's just, it's, it's, it's not, it's not going to be good for them. Yeah. Well said. I jokingly tell my kids that, uh, you get to live with me until 18 years in one day and then I'm throwing you out. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not literally going to throw them out, but I am going to start, uh, <laughs> they're going to have to start adulting at that point. Or charge um, rent. Yeah. Something like that. that too. So, because I mean, if actually, and going back to the types of millennials who are who are arguing and who are protesting, I think it's primarily in the West Coast and the Northeast. People who actually were pretty well off. I grew up in a town that was actually pretty well off. And I know the attitude. Basically, we're so shocked that the real world isn't what we were exposed to. And we're going to lash out at it. And we're a little bit ticked off that we spent all this money on a degree that we're not using anymore and we have all this college debt and I think that's part of where the anger comes from and then they might have a trust fund or they could go back to their parents in a very rich community so I I don't think you're going to have a a poor kid from Kansas uh, going and shouting at Wells Fargo I think it's probably going to be the upper crust you know upper middle class maybe rich people that's what I've noticed anyway which is why a lot of this happened in Seattle New York City, Los Angeles, a lot of the big cities. It doesn't happen in Gary, Indiana. Yeah, and and there, you know, there's also um, you have to consider the type of people who can spend their days protesting and not yeah. working. You know, there there's a certain class of people who can afford to spend their days uh, occupying Wall Street. Everybody else has to get up and go to work. Yeah. Yeah, they occupy Wall Street till about 9.45, then they go over to Starbucks and come back and occupy Wall Street till about 12, then they go to whatever hipster urban diner of the week, then they come back at 1 and occupy Wall Street for another couple hours till they get their afternoon latte, then they drive around to the parking garage and drive their parents' cars home, and then their parents ask them, hey, sweetie, what did you do today? Oh, I hung out with friends. And the parents are clueless about their children's lives. Um all the way through high school and into college, and they're just like funding the bill. 
Well, I tell you what, let, let, let me throw another slant at this because um, I, in my 20s, I was uh, a child of the 80s. I grew up with the personal computer and through all of its forms from its inception through to I made a career out of it. Um, so I saw disruption at, in my young age. And I was lucky. I'm lucky today because I can look back at the at the let's call it the millennial generation, and there's a lot of it which you know we've spoken about that upsets us. But I tell you what, there's a lot there that I am absolutely in awe of, and I think is some of the greatest um, future thinkers I've ever seen. And you know, Seth, um, we started off talking about your Bitcoin rig and Bitcoin mining. Let's not forget who drives the entire Bitcoin economy. It's millennials. Who who invented Coinbase? Who invented BitPay? Who invented the wallet? Who invented all of this sort of stuff? It came from the millennials. It didn't come from, from us. And and at the end of the day, the disruptors, the Elon Musks, the um, you know, the changes of, of commerce, the changes of energy, the changes of uh, everything that in our society which is messed up. And I know, look, we're all part of messing it up to some degree. Maybe we did it by negligence or we did it by not addressing problems when they should have been done. But the generation that, that we're calling millennials, a very good percentage of those have picked up the mantle and they've gone out there and they're fixing things. And I'm absolutely in awe of what they're doing. And I'm, so I'm, I'm saying, yeah, there is people out there who we've spoken about, you know, that exhibit those behaviors, but there is a percentage of them out there that are going to be the next Bill Gates, the next Steve Jobs. Uh, and these people I'm absolutely fans of. And to this day, if I could just hang with those people, I would be a better man. Well, and the same is true of the Gen Xers. We were the slacker generation and people called us that because we were, but there was a there was a, a vocal minority of slackers and a silent majority of workers, and I believe that's the case with with millennials too. Uh, so all of this generalization I've been doing, um, you know, uh, Kirk here is a fine example of uh, a, the silent majority of hardworking millennials out there, and Will who who wrote in as well. Uh, you're out there, and we believe you're out there. We just need to hear from you. Well, the world needs to hear from yes. you. Mm-hmm. I got to say, Miles, that sounds pretty good. I like that. <laughs> well, look, I mean, it- I'll put it to you this way. I've, I have some of the issues that I talk about. I don't think it's a great thing to be a job snob, but I've been a job snob. I say, well, I don't want to work at Walmart if I have another job lined up, you know, even though the other job isn't a sure thing. And uh, this one is. So I could be accused of that, too. It's just, I don't think you should be the sort of person who needs to try to get in everybody's way and think that there's some sort of conspiracy against us. You can try to be objective about the facts. Prices are going up, for instance. It's harder to find work. But you also have to realize that sometimes you've made your own mistakes. Your parents may have made some mistakes, too, or you've allowed them to coddle you. And you just have to break that cycle or else, again, it's it's going to continue. And pretty soon you're going to be a little bit too old and wondering why you're not the next Bill Gates. Well, because you didn't put in the work. Because you're not taking the risk that Miles was talking about. Good stuff. And I think I'm going to let that be the last word uh, before we move on to Epic Miniseries status. 
Um, uh, Kirk, thanks for hanging out with us. Really, uh, I, I appreciate some reasoned thinking um, and and a good old rant all at the same time. Uh, Will, thank you for your contribution to the show, uh, though it was five weeks old and we just now got around to it. Um, uh, but we we appreciate that. I, I do want to say this is the last live show. Uh, live's not the right word. The last uh, uh, the last time we're going to be together this year. Uh, so the we the next two shows you will have shows the next two weeks, but they will be they have already been recorded and uh, will be released uh, after the fact. So Kirk, you literally get the last word of the year. So awesome. Um, well, but before we go, Seth has to tell us uh, what happened this week in history. Okay, this week in history is near and dear to my heart because it concerns the single greatest search engine in the history of the vast interwebs. So December the 15th, 1995, Alta Vista launches. Developed by researchers at Digital Equipment Research Laboratories, the Alta Vista search engine is launched. It was the first worldwide web search service to gain significant popularity. One of the most popular search engines in the early World Wide Web, Google didn't overtake Alta Vista till 2001, and Alta Vista was eventually sucked up by the crappy black hole that Yahoo has become in 2003 but i loved alta vista you know babblefish you you could do translation through searching at alta vista years before google it was just it was the best website period ever yeah google in all of its glory has yet to attain alta vista status to me it was also my first experience with um uh url sniping if you typed in ultra vista if you fat fingered and hit the r when you hit the t you went to a hardcore porn site um and so that was my (laughs) first experience with hey people can hijack similar urls Um, (laughs) and then also when they first launched they didn't own altavista.com that was an established company that sold something and whatever and there there were so many clicks that their homepage yeah. was uh, did you mean to go to the search engine click here did you mean to come to us click here <laughs> I remember and that. go to our site and uh, in years later i don't remember at what point but at some point altavista became the holder of altavista.com but that was kind of funny as well you had to uh, you had to yahoo how to get to altavista <laughs> because the url was weird good stuff and and sticking with uh, a variation on a theme your show closing spectacular is also a historical event okay i came across this this is a ranker.com site and you know some of the stuff of rankers is it lists like you know who are the hottest celebrities of the year or whatever and you can vote up or down but this one was interesting historical events you won't believe happened at the same time so uh, you know because you kind of learn history in like silos almost but the fax machine was invented the same year the first wagon crossed the Oregon Trail in 1843 and I you know you think about that and you go wait a minute that's not right and you go wait a minute yeah that is right um because the fax machine was invented in france in like 1843 and that was the year of the whatever oregon migration that became the oregon trail where you everybody died in dysentery um and then there's there's several other things like that like there were still woolly mammoths alive when egypt was building the pyramids unless the aliens are the ones who really built them and so anyway you just go through here and there's several things that 
you know, it'll just like make you think that, hey, wait a minute, you know, because you learned about this history when you're studying this and you learn about that history when you're studying that and realize that stuff happens at the same time. Oh, my gosh. History doesn't exist in a vacuum. Prisoners arrived at Auschwitz just days after McDonald's was founded in 1940. Hmm. Wow. There's another, a tale of two countries. Another reason not to go there. It might be, <laughs> it might be a correlation. You don't know. I've always want... <laughs> Oh my god! I was always, always wonder what was in chicken nuggets. Oh, oh man! Oh. Bum, bum, bum. Chicken nuggets <laughs> is <bad>. people. Um. <laughs> and Star Wars came out the same year as the last guillotine execution in France in 1977. Wow! Whoa! <laughs> they were still lopping people's heads off in the 70s. Wow! Cool stuff. And it was probably for something they were wearing. That was the uh, the the killable offense. Bell bottoms yeah, and. And this is the Brooklyn Bridge was being built during the Battle of Little Bighorn in 1876. Hmm. So anyway, just hmm. interesting. I think this one, you know, you could spend your time and this could put in such a mental conundrum that you do become less productivity and your boss fires you and looks for a better hire, thus increasing my marketability. All right. Uh, so I will say at this point, this is uh, this is the part of the show where I tell you how to contact us. Uh, if you do so, we will not see it for a couple of weeks. Just know that. But still, do uh, stock the coffers of feedback. Go to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. That is the number one best way to do it. The second to that is to email geekrant at elementop.com. And if you would like your voice to appear right here alongside ours, you could either buy Kirk and volunteer to be on the show, or you could just dial 559 am opie and leave us a short uh, message and uh, we'll do that either it takes much less of your time if you do it that way um kirk we do appreciate you hanging out with us for low these many hours now uh and uh we appreciate your your regular feedback in the chat room uh as well as uh email stuff so uh we, we appreciate you being part of the element op family uh and um you, do you have any final words of wisdom before we say good night well i just wanted to say thanks it's a real honor to be on the show and to try to tie everything together, I'd say nothing is as fulfilling as building something yourself. You know, you can be up to all the new shows. You can know everything there is on the Internet. But I think there's always going to be a part of you that wants to really work on your own project. <laughs> so if you feel that you're missing something in your life, that could be it. Your own, your own body of work. All right. Wisdom from the future. The well said. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Um, Chris, uh, wait, not Chris is near. Yeah, Chris, actually, thanks for, for being part of this year as well. Um, seriously. Um, but Miles, Seth, thank you for, for hanging out with us uh, for closing out. This is the first year Geek Rant began in January of 2016. As as bad as 2016 might have been, been it was the year of the Geek Rant. Um, so we, uh, I, I will always remember it fondly for that. Uh, that and, you know, an Oompa Loompa being elected president. Um, so uh, thanks for, for hanging out with us, guys. You, the listener, this is all about you. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next year on The Key Grant. <laughs>